there's uh, there's so much going on in, in the in the world today as uh, as I, I always pretty much start out saying up here it seems every Sunday and the challenge would be is how do we as Christians how do we live and exist in this world with so much going on around this um, last week I think it was I was speaking about I started out talking about how we see the prophecies in the Bible unfolding in our very time in our very uh, times and the things right before our very eyes the things that were prophesied. And every single day, from week to week, from Sunday to Sunday, by the time I get back to the pulpit, something else indeed has, has, has popped up, where we see the devil at work and so on. And the question is, how do we continue surviving, you know, as Christians? It seems like um, for so many times and years even, back when I was a younger Christian, the things that I read in Scripture, the prophetic things that I read in Scripture, at one point, even in my life, my younger years, seemed so theoretical. You know, it seemed, oh yeah, this possibly could happen. And then as time progresses and you get older in the Lord and you get more mature, you see the things that the Word of God was talking about actually happening in your life. Uh, One of the most recent ones, some of you may have heard about, um, where you see the enemy is getting more and more bold and more and more blatant, you know, and we in the body of Christ are we need to also be bold and, and, and emboldened by Holy Spirit that's in us. And I guess what I kind of wrestle with is I don't understand why more churches are not banding together and spiritually coming against the things that we see happening in the land, whereas the laws that we have in this land that are supposed to, to protect the things of God and, and Christianity and so on like that are really not being enforced. So if man is not enforcing them by the laws that are written, then the only recourse is for us as Christians is what God would want us to do, to pray appropriately and accordingly. When the founding fathers founded this country, it was indeed based on scripture, it was based on the word of God. Those that have been to Washington, D.C., and you look at the monuments, we were there a couple of years back, a few years back, and, and I mean all over the place you see scripture and, you know, Jefferson and so on like that, you see scriptures there. But the country is, is steadily and slowly moving away from that. Um, on Janu- on June, uh, July 25th in Detroit, there shall be a one-ton, nine-foot-tall monument to this thing that is called Bahamut or something. And it's, it's, uh, it's a replica of Satan, basically. It's got a huge goat's head, the horns, the whole thing. And the statue has two little children, you know, standing near the knees of this thing looking up at it, you know. And this is coming back from admitted Satanists who are saying that we're erecting that because in Oklahoma, where they had the two, um, two, two, two uh, stone Ten Commandments on the state grounds, they are saying that according to religious freedoms in this country, that they have the right to erect the statue also. So Detroit, as if Detroit doesn't have enough problems, but there they are erecting this nine foot nine foot statue um, and it's several several tons heavy or one it's one ton one ton heavy and this is happening right before our very eyes you know and the laws of the land apparently do not forbid it so what do we need to do as Christians first of all we need to gather and to pray that God's will indeed will be done but then on a personal note what is it that we should be doing um, in our lives okay and today I'm going to talk about about visions you know because Being that what is happening, if you don't have a vision for your life, there is so much confusion going on. If you weren't a well-grounded Christian, then you would start wondering, well, gee whiz, God, what's my intent? What's my purpose? So we all need to have a vision, all right? And as I always say, whatever comes from this pulpit has to be based on the Word of God. Let not my opinion uh, intervene here. So let's go to the Word. Let's go to the book of Habakkuk. 
the book of Habakkuk. We're going to talk a little bit about vision. And then I want to move forward in, in talking about how important it is to have a vision and whether or not we can, we can keep a vision. All right, so everything starts with a vision. So if you know that all of these things are happening in the land today um, and that there's a battle that's going on, all right, there's in, in addition to the physical wars that's going on, ISIS and other things happening around the globe, there is also a spiritual battle that's going on. And the spiritual battle um, can manifest itself in our personal lives, the various challenges that come up in our lives, uh, the various times that you feel conflicted or torn between what you should do or what you should not do. Um, the enemy would love to just to get us to the point that we uh, uh, just turn our backs on God and just forget about God, you know. And so we need to have a vision. We need to be well structured and guided in what it is that we want to do. Amen. Uh, back of that little thin, little thin book, it's near Zephaniah. So, so forth in the Old Testament. Praise God. Praise God. I'm willing to wait till everyone's there because it's important that we're able to follow along. Okay. So we want to go right into to, uh, chapter number two. But verse uh, chapter number one um, is where uh, Habakkuk was basically praying to God because what, what God is saying or what Habakkuk said to God in chapter number one is that why is sin going unjudged because there was so much going on and Habakkuk was one who was saying to God why are all these things happening you know and God it appears God that you're not doing anything about it you know and then God does say you don't have to go there right now God does say in chapter one verse number five says uh, behold among the nations and regard and wonder marvelously for I will work a work in your days which you shall not believe though it will be told to you okay so God is telling Habakkuk basically don't worry about those evil things that are happening because God is indeed in control you see and that's what we have to remember because while we see see the deceit and the things one person talks out of one side of their face and, and then a few days or a week or a month goes by and the person on television speaks out of the other side of their face and what they seem to forget is that with today with the marvels of videotape you know you can't lie so easily on television because it's been documented but they turn around you know, so sometimes we wonder, Lord, who's in charge here and why is this stuff being permitted to, to happen? Okay? So then God comes back the second time because he, you know, Habakkuk is questioning God. So God says in chapter 2, Habakkuk 2, verse number 1, says, I will stand upon my watch and set myself upon the tower and will watch to see what he will say unto me and what I shall answer when I am reproved. So Habakkuk there is saying that I will stand upon my watch and I will set myself upon the tower and I will wait to see what he will say to me. So sometimes when we are feeling this confusion, we may have a vision or a direction that we think we have before us where we have it pretty much, okay, this is what God wants me to do, but sometimes something will enter into our lives to possibly impact that direction that we think we know. So then we need to do is say, first of all, I'm going to be still, Psalm 46 verse 10, be still and know that I am God and then set yourself upon a watch and just kind of wait and watch what is it that God is going to say to me Okay, All right? because we just can't go helter skelter into our lives because we think we know what our vision is and just because something else may come in from the left or to the right to impact that vision to all of a sudden just go helter skelter off in a different direction, amen so Habakkuk says, what will I do? I will stand upon my watch and set upon the tower and watch and wait to see what he'll say to me and then in verse number 2 Habakkuk 2.2 2 says, And the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain upon tablets, 
that he may run that reads it. So what he's saying there is to write down the vision and to make it plain upon, Scripture says, tables. It's talking about to write it down. Cast it in stone. So when we have this vision, you know, and many, many times I keep a little thing near my bed, you know, electronic, and I got little yellow post-its in the, in the bathroom and everything, so that when things pop up, I literally jot things down and pin it on the mirror where I'll see it the next day. Amen? So if you have these things in your mind, first of all, if you have a vision for your life, you know where you, you think God is telling you to go, write that vision down. Write it down. Amen? And it says to write it down clearly that he may run that reads it so you can take action when you read it. Amen? Amen? Don't lose sight of what that vision is. He then goes on to say, for the vision is yet for an appointed time. Now please the line, the vision is yet for an appointed time. For the vision is yet for an appointed time. But at the end it shall speak. At the end it shall speak. And not lie, underline, and not lie. Though it tarry, underline, wait for it, underline, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. Maybe highlight the whole verse. Amen. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. Behold, his soul that is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by faith. So first in verse number three, to talk about that a little bit, your vision will come at the appointed time. You see, but so many times when we have a vision in life, we think that that vision, what we think for our lives, has to happen in our particular time. Amen. And our particular time is like usually, Lord, the next 10 minutes, you know, can you make this thing happen next 10 minutes, you know, or by tomorrow, you know. Well, it may not be. There are some things in my life that took years and years to come to fruition. And to tell you the truth, I kind of lost sight of it. But then when it did happen, the Lord quickened into my spirit. Do you remember when you prayed for me back in 1980? Remember that, so-and-so-and-so? And then all of a sudden, there it is, you see. So the thing is to know that, 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 that the vision is there and to know that God is working it. And then you just sit back and then just rest. And then you just wait, you see. Well, well gee, this pastor, you know, I've been asking God, you know, for a a bright red Ferrari took car to get me to work, you know. Well, guess what? You know, until God maybe makes that materialize, you'll get to work. Either the bus or a friend will pick you up and drop you off or something. All right. But the main thing is, the main thing is, is that you will be getting to work. You will be able to pay your bills. You will be able to eat and so on. Amen. So the vision that God has for you, he says here to wait for it because it'll speak and it will not lie. And though it may tarry, to wait for it. All right. Then it goes on to say verse number four. Then he explained this as, Behold, his soul that is lifted up. That means pride. His soul that is lifted up with pride is not upright in him. But the just shall live by faith. So what makes us, and enables us to live, is simply by having the faith of God. Okay? Now, so that's the vision. So we understand then, what you need to do is to set a vision. Alright, now, the critical thing though, and what the enemy knows, is that you're sitting back and you're writing down this vision. You've got it written on this little notepad. You know, you've got it electronically in your phone or whatever. You've got this vision on your yellow sticky and you're looking at it every single day. The devil knows that the fastest way to destroy a person's vision, especially a Christian, the fastest way to, des- to destroy a Christian's vision, vision is to give that Christian another vision. Okay? Is to give you another vision. So while you've got this vision and you're trying to focus on that, the devil says, well, you guess what? He or she is so foolish, or maybe even puffed up in pride, I'm going to give her a new vision. I'm going to give her a secondary vision. 
And we'll see which vision wins out. You see? So while God may have given you this vision and you wrote it down and you see where you're going to head, in the meantime, out of nowhere, so it seems, out of nowhere, the secondary vision comes up. Okay? Because Satan knows how we are. All right? We as Christians can't focus on more than one thing. You know, like walking and chewing gum. You see? Okay? It's hard to focus on one thing. But you need to remember, if you've got a God-given vision, you've got to make sure that you're focusing only on that vision. And the other things that come along could be Satan sent. Could be Satan sent, all right? Sometimes that secondary vision will not only be Satan sent. You know, people are so quick to say the devil made me do it. Well, it's not always the devil. Sometimes we can be our own worst enemies. Sometimes because of something that we desire more than what God wants for us. We have a vision that God has given us. But yet still there's something else that, something else that we desire. So all of a sudden we all of a sudden have, sec- have, have created the secondary vision. Because of what we want to do instead of waiting and tarrying on God. Okay? All right, all right. And, and, and how many times? The red Ferrari. You're praying for this thing and, you know, and you feel in your spirit, God's going to bless me, God's going to bless me. But then all of a sudden, you know, as the weeks and the months are going by, you just happen to go by that dealer and you see a sale on that Ferrari. And then what do you do? You run back and you get your checkbook and you calculate and you start trying to figure out, well, let me see, well, I earn so much a month and you start figuring out, how can I get that particular Ferrari? So now that's you. That's not necessarily Satan, that's you. You're not willing to wait for God's vision, but all of a sudden, something that you want so badly, and something that you feel is right for you, you see, because we as human beings are very short-sighted. You know, we don't look, we can't see the long-term things. You know, we, we can't see what's out there months and years ahead, you know? you know. And this is why, not to get off the track, but this is why Satan uses the occult things like astrology and other fortune-telling things where people get into that because they want to know, they want to know what's going to happen to me next month, next year, and so forth, you know? you know? When I turn 21, what's going to happen to me? Or so when I turn 40, what's going to happen to me? And they're not willing to wait for God's vision, all right? Because it says that it will come in his time, okay? Now, if you think that's not so, looking at how secondary visions or second visions were given. Let's look at some examples in the Bible. There are so many, but I'm just going to give a, a look at a couple today. Go to Genesis 3. Genesis chapter 3. I'm going to show you how secondary visions, visions work. Okay? Okay, and remember, the fastest way to destroy a Christian's vision is to give that Christian two visions. Two visions. Visions. <laughs> Amen. Let's go to chapter 3. And we're going to start with verse number one. And you all know these scriptures because we've been here before. I'm sure you have too. Genesis chapter 3, verse number one. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, has God said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Okay? Now, we know what instructions uh, God had given Adam and Eve, all right? But the serpent, by the way, the, you know, the, the, the word of God here says, says serpent, and it, and it says subtle because the serpent has a certain beauty to it, you know, how it moves, all right? And it must have been some particular creature because before the fall, it must have been some creature that would not have frightened Eve, you know, so we really don't know what form um, Satan, you know, she saw before the fall and everything, but it says the serpent here. But it was it was subtle, okay, and it got her attention. He says 
Yea, has God said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? So what he's doing right there is he's planting some doubt. You know, we, knew, we know full well the scripture says that God told Adam and Eve, don't eat of the tree. Amen? But he's planting some doubt there. And the woman said unto the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat of it. Neither shall you touch it unless you die. Okay? So Eve clearly knew because she recited back to him, to Satan, what it was that God had told her. Then Satan says in verse number 4, And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die. All right? For God does know that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as God, knowing good and evil. You see, so there comes that second vision. There comes that second thought, that second promise. God gave a distinct direction about what not to do, and what did Satan do? He came inside and he gave her another demand, command, and put doubt in her mind. God just doesn't want you to be like him. God does not want you to be as bright as him and so as wise as he. You see? So there's that secondary vision. And then as a result, what happens there, it says, And and when the woman saw, underline saw, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, And that it was pleasant to the eyes, underline pleasant to the eyes, And the tree to be desired to make one wise, underline to make one wise, She took of the fruit thereof and did eat, And gave also unto her husband with her. And he did eat. Okay? You see? So, man was not deceived, by the way. Adam was not deceived. He simply followed on. <laughs> Which was bad enough in itself. He followed on. But Eve was. So what happened was there, was now, what, what things do we see happening there? After he put these thoughts of doubt in her mind, she looked at that fruit and it says that she saw, all right, and then it says that it appeared to be pleasant to the eyes. The woman saw that the tree was good for food and was pleasant to her eyes. So what this tells us is that there's something about the senses then. She looked at this fruit and just because it appeared to be pleasing to her, she thought then, I don't have to think about what God said, the original vision, if you will, or the original plan, but I'm going to go along with this. You see, and Satan appealed to her senses. What does the scripture say about sentence? We walk for we walk not by sight, but by faith. Walk by faith, not by sight. You see, because the things that we perceive with our senses will lie to us. So while you've got a vision for life and for where you need to go, where God is telling you to go, that may be all and well and good. But that secondary vision, the way to destroy a Christian is by giving a second vision. That second vision or that second thought is going to be something that appeals to you. Appealing to the five senses. All right. This will work for me. This will be good for me. Wow, look at this. If I had this, if I had that. Or, gee whiz, God is sending me on this mission. It may be better if I don't go. It may be better if I stay and I go over here to this other place. Because look at over this place. I mean, it's got this, it's got that, it's got so-and-so. Amen? So there's that secondary vision. You see, So it started right there in the garden. And it will always be something that appeals to you. So if you've got this thing that you know that God wants you to do, if you've got this direction that you feel pretty sure that this is what God is wanting you to do, and there's another distraction that is coming your way, you need to pray about it and you need to look at it. You need to look at, you know, why is this thing seeming to be so beneficial to me? Is it benefiting me as a human being? Is it benefiting me in the here and now? Is it going to gratify some, some, some need or some wish that I have? Is it going to get me to something that I want to have? Or is this going to be counter to what God's vision, is, God, God's vision for me is? You see? And many times it'll seem like it's going to be complementing that vision. 
Because you've got to be careful. Because anything that gets you distracted off of God and off the original plan, you're going to wind up in, in, in difficulty. You wind up in a difficult situation, okay? So we see there, and, and we know the result of that. As a result, this was the fall. And, uh, uh, and God uh, 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 cast Adam and Eve out of the uh, garden and so on. Now let's look at another time here, moving forward to New Testament. Let's go to Matthew. Go to the book of Matthew. Okay. So you don't forget, God, uh, the devil does not want you, the devil does not want you to come into the fullness uh, of what God has planned for you, you know. And while the devil is not omniscient like God, he's not all-knowing, he's certainly not all-powerful, he's not omnipresent, as many would try to think that he is. Um, Satan cannot be in more than one place at one time, only God can do that. But he does have his demonic minions that are all over the place, and those little demonic minions are constantly in our lives trying to see where they can, that they can disrupt, get our focus off of God, and so on, like that. Amen? Amen. So we need to make sure that we maintain our, our focus. So Matthew uh, 14, and we want to go to verse number 22. Okay. Okay, 14.22. And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a boat and to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. Now, first of all, when he says that Jesus constrained them to go, that means that he directed them to go. Go to the other side, I'm going to meet you there. Jesus did not say, go to the other side, maybe I'll meet you there. If all works out well, I'll be there. Jesus said, go to the other side. Okay, so if Jesus says to go someplace, that means that he's going to be there to meet you. Amen. That's the first thing you've got to remember. If Jesus is telling you to do something, then he, he expects that to happen, and he intends to be, to do, to be there to do whatever it is that, he's, that he has maybe told you that he's going to do. Verse 23 says, And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain privately to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. And just incidentally there, you know, Jesus needed some downtime also as a man, so he went away privately to pray. Um, and Jesus knew that, that everything would be okay, so he told him, Go to the other side, and I'll meet you. Then it says in verse 24, But the boat was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spoke unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, underline if, if it be thou, bid me to come unto thee on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Now, let's just pause there for a moment. Jesus told them to go to the other side that he was going to join them there. And first of all, when they saw him walking, they thought it was a ghost. Now, you think all of this time with them being with Jesus, they would have been able to determine and recognize Jesus, you know? You know? And we have to ask ourselves that sometimes, too, because do we always recognize Jesus when he's acting in our lives? All right? Many times God is working in your life, and you may not be recognizing him. 
Amen. So if you are a student of the Bible, if you've been reading the word, and if you've been praying and interacting with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, amen, and you know Jesus is in your life, when Jesus is active in your life, you should be able to recognize him. You should be able to know when Jesus is speaking to you, because the Bible says also that my my sheep know my voice, and if you're one of Jesus' sheep, you should recognize his voice, amen. But he says here, that the Bible says here, that he went walking in and Jesus, all right, don't be afraid, first of all, it's mine. But then Peter answered him and said, Lord, if. So you see, so then there's some doubt, you know. When Jesus comes into my heart or into my life or when Jesus is speaking to me, there's no doubt that I'm hearing from God. There's no doubt whatsoever. So I would never say, well, Lord, if that is you, you know, especially if Jesus is in front of you, you'd think that you'd know him. Amen. But there's some doubt there, Lord. If, if, Lord, if that be you, bid me to come unto thee on the water. And Jesus said, come. Now, when he said come, first of all, that's an invitation. Jesus is there on the water. Alright? That's Peter's vision. That's Peter's primary vision. Jesus said, come. He's looking at Jesus. So right now, that's my vision. All I'm going to do, if he said, come, if I know that God said for me to come to him, then God intends for me to get to him. Amen? God is never going to give you a vision. A God-given vision is not going to be something that you cannot accomplish. God does not play games. It is a vision that, that though it may tarry, it shall not lie. So if God has given you that vision in your life, first of all, recognize that it's God giving you that vision. And do not waver from that vision. Know that he's telling you this is where he wants you to be. This is where he wants you to go. This is what he wants you to do. And recognize the fact that if God is saying that, he's not saying, well, yeah, step out on the water and come to me on that vision. And then, you know, there's a big trap door. <laughs> you know, knowing that you're going to, he's going to say, ha, 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 okay, okay, and he's going to laugh at you, <laughs> you know, you know, God is not that kind of jokester, you know, to do that, that if God is bidding you to come unto him, that kind of invitation, come to me, okay, so that was Peter's vision, that was his vision, no, now, what did we say here, we, we, we said that the fastest way to destroy a Christian's vision is to give him two visions, Okay, why? So he can lose focus? Now we all know what happens, but let's read on anyway for fun. Verse number 30 says, But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. So here, God gave him that vision. Jesus says, come. That's his primary vision. But then all of a sudden, when the wind blew up and it was boisterous, so what did he do? I mean, I can kind of picture him. You know, he's looking at Jesus. Then all of a sudden, there's a wind and there's a cloud. He looks away up at the sky, taking his eyes off his primary mission. Taking his eyes off the vision, and as min- the minute he lost sight of his vision and looked the other way, he began to sink. And then when he began to sink, it's interesting that it says what happened to him. What state of mind was he in? He became afraid. You see? So the minute that you get unfocused from God's vision, the Satan gives you that secondary vision to distract you and to pull your focus off of God, then all of a sudden when you do get away from God, then that spirit of fear creeps in, and then you become afraid. You see? And, that, and that's where the confusion, quote-unquote, uh, excuse me, sinks in. Because now all of a sudden, because you've gotten your mind off of God, and you're going down this other path, now all of a sudden you're in a tizz and you're going help the other because now you don't know what to do, and you become afraid. Lord, what am I going to do? Gee whiz, this is happening. I don't know whether to choose this or whether to choose that. Because you got your mind and your focus off of God's original mission, for you, your original vision. You see? You see? And the devil knows that. He said, Once I can get he or she distracted, then I like, I whistle. Spirit of fear. Go attack. Because now they're open. Unfocused off of God. 
You see? So it says that, that, that he became afraid as he was sinking. Okay? And beginning to sink, you see. But if you notice there, he, 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 if you look at the steps, the process, when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. So the, so the fear came in first. Then after the fear came in, that's when he started to sink. Amen? Amen? So we see here that it's so important that we keep focused on, on, our, on the, the original uh, vision where God has us. And immediately, Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? And when they were coming to the boat, the wind ceased. Alright? When he came into the boat, the wind ceased. You see? So at that point, Satan knew that there wasn't anything else that could be done, so I'm just going to give up and I'll go home. Amen? Amen? So we see that how so easily it is in a split second of time to get distracted off of, off of our vision. You see? You know, and, 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 and the things that none of us, I don't believe any of us, have ever experienced being in a rowboat or anything like that and having Jesus call us out. But you stop and think back in your life. Stop and think back when you had something that you were truly focused on, something that you were really dreaming for and wanting, something that you were believing God for. And during that time, while the vision tarried, while you were alone and you had too much time to think about where it is that you're going, all sorts of other things come in from left and right field. It will come to you through others, it will come to you through family members, it will come to you through situations, come to you through people on the job, in the neighborhood, whatever it may be. Something will come to you that will make you doubt that this was Jesus really telling you to step out of the boat and to stay focused on him. You see? So, come heck or high water, when that starts happening in your life, you've got to sit back and you've got to collect yourself and take a moment to breathe and say, oh, wait a minute now, what is it that I'm doing here? What is it that God wants me to do? What is it that I was praying for? When I was praying for this thing, the confirmation that I got in my spirit to do this or to do that, and I know that was God, so now this other thing that's coming over here, or this other storm that's coming over here, you know, because when you stop and think about it, those, those distractions that come into your life, that's what they feel like. They feel like storms. They feel like storms, you know. I mean, you'll be sitting back on your, on your bed just, just, just kind of cooling it where everything is going right, you know. You know where you're heading and things are working out just fine, you know. And, and the phone will ring or you'll say, oh, well, let me go out and get today's mail. You go to the mailbox or something, then, or you'll bump into somebody in the store and they will hit you with something and then bang. That will be totally counter to where you are heading. Or it will be something that comes into your world to upset where you thought things were going so well. You see, you see, you see. And, and, and the devil knows that. So he tries to give us a secondary vision. All right? One last thing to look at here is our, um, go to uh, Mark number 3. Mark 3. Mark chapter 3. Okay, Mark chapter 3. Mark 3 and, uh, let me see, 22. Mark three twenty-two. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem said, He asked Beelzebub, and by the prince of the demons cast he out demons. And he called them unto him and said unto them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? And if a kingdom be divided against himself, itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house be divided against itself, 
that house cannot stand. Okay? So let's underline verse number 25 or highlight it. A house divided against itself cannot stand. Okay? Now, this, this speaks to us not only as individuals, but it speaks to us also in terms of relationships. If I, as one individual, if I've got one vision and then I'm divided between a sec- that and a secondary vision, then I, I can't succeed. Then I can't, succe- I can't stand. All right, all right, all right. What does, the, God, what does the, the word say about a man? A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. All right, all right. You, you can't have two visions because you're going to be bouncing back and forth, you see, and then you're going to wind up arguing with yourself. You know, in, in a sense, you're arguing with yourself, you know, and, and you can't win out that way because you, you wind up operating out of a state of confusion. You get so confused that when God is trying to talk to you that you can't even hear God because you've got this conflict in your mind. You know, so what Jesus was saying, you remember, he was, he was healing, he had to heal the, the, uh, uh, the person and cast out the demons and the Pharisees standing by watching and saying, oh, look, at, he must be Beelzebub, he you know, cast out demons and so on. And so he's saying basically, well, why would Satan cast out Satan? You know, he can't, a house divided can't stand. So Jesus is saying, it's the same thing with us. As an individual, uh, if we've got two, two thoughts and two visions going back and forth in our minds, then that's going to, it's going to bring us down because you, you can't focus on the both of them, especially when one is of God and the second one is either of you or of the devil. Okay, you can't stand. In a relationship, that is just as important also because you can't be on one accord. Be it a husband and wife, a girlfriend and a boyfriend in a relationship. You know, and you're trying to do something that God is trying to tell you to do, and yet still there's a secondary focus. Divided against itself, it cannot stand. You see? So to be, have those two things happening in your life is not something that is good because you wind up losing on both accounts. Amen? Amen? It takes you and distracts you away from the vision that God has given you. You see? And it makes it impossible for you to focus on it. All right? And we have to remember here that the prime thing here is focusing on God. And in this day and age that we live in, there, is so, there are so many distractions. There are so many people. And, and I really hate to say this, but there are even, and, and, and understand what I'm saying when I say this, but there are even other Christians that would get us distracted. You know, and I say that in, in the most, gee whiz, the, most, the gentlest and loving way that I can. Um, not that many of them are ill-intentioned, you know. Many of them do indeed may want the best for you, but many times they're not hearing Holy Spirit, and they may not definitely not hear what Holy Spirit is telling you for your life. Amen? So you've got to be really careful, you know, because sometimes the devil, the devil can use other Christians too to just go by, and they're trying to help you, and they'll say, oh, well, I think you should do so-and-so, I think you should go there, I think you should do this, and maybe that's going to take you away way from where God is telling you to do. Do they love you? Yeah. Do they want the best for you? Yeah. Amen. But they may not be hearing and may not be in line with Holy Spirit. You see? So that way, if you're focused on God, you'll know that anything that is coming to you not from God, you'll be able to recognize it right away. Right away. Alright? If, if there's something going on in your family life and, and you've got a direction for something and then all of a sudden, uh, you know, we're going we're gonna to plan this birthday party, a surprise birthday party, and everyone is all focused on that, then all of a sudden another family member who is very rarely around who lives in Kalamazoo or whatever shows up and injects a whole different idea and want to take everything in a different direction for the surprise birthday party what happens? You have nothing but chaos you see? Well the same thing when it comes down to our lives in God. God has a direction for us. God has a vision for us and if we're not focused on him you've got all sorts of quote unquote family members coming in from Kalamazoo to give you directions on what you should do with your life. You understand that? What I'm saying there? Okay? And you will find you will find that the more critical a vision is from God for your life, the more important it is for you 
to where you want to go or where God wants you to go, that is where you will start getting the most varied opinions from others. You'll get so many options all of a sudden coming in where you should do this, you could do that, or something that appears to be, you know, you're praying and hoping for this job, and all of a sudden, and you know that this particular job pays X number of dollars, but all of a sudden, out of the blue, this other job will come in paying three times that amount. Three times that amount, you know, and, and, and walking by sight instead of faith, faith, looking at the, the, the fruit and it appeared good to the eyes that you may go and want to pursue the bigger paying job. But you don't know what literal hell may be behind that other job once you decide to go into it, you see. So that is destroying the Christian by giving a second vision. All right? You need to make sure that it's God that you're focused on. Okay? And that you have to know that God is indeed the source of, 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 all, of all, everything that's good. Let's go to um, James 1 in closing here. There's a few more scriptures here. Go to the book of James. James chapter 1. Okay? Staying focused on this, have a focus on God. You know, it's almost like being a pit bull, you know. Once you know it's God, you're just holding on to this thing and you're not letting go. You know, I don't care how much pulling or tugging at that meat is going on that's in your mouth. <laughs> you know, you do not let it go. You just hold on to it for dear life. Amen? James 1, chapter 13. Okay? 113. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempts he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust has conceived, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. Do not err. Do not err, my, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, underline. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow or turning. Of his own will, of his own will be got he, he us, with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Okay, so the operative uh, verse there is every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. All right, so God is your source of everything. Underline that. Underline and, and make sure that it's underlined in your spirit and in your mind. God is the source of every good thing that's in your life. So you know that if God is the source, then that means that I've got this vision that's coming from God. I've got to pay the rent, I've got to pay the mortgage, I've got to put food on the table, I've got, I've got, I've got, I've got, I've got, I've got to do, I've got to do, I've got to do. God knows that. God knows that. And he's the source. So you know that if God has given you a vision for something, then know that that's God and therefore he knows what your needs are and he's going to provide those needs. Amen? So, so you can't lose sight of that. You know? If Eve had, had kept sight of that, you know, um, then maybe the whole thing wouldn't have happened the way it did. They wouldn't have been cast out of the garden. If they had just simply trusted God. God said not to eat. I mean, God was providing everything for them as it was. They had no cares. I mean, how, how neat was that? I mean, they, they said that, that, that God walked with them in the cool of the day in the garden. I mean, how neat was that? You see? Yet still something else, that secondary vision came in. That other focus came in. Amen? So you see, so get focused on, the, on God. And remember that every, he's the source of everything that's in your life. Okay? And then really lastly, Matthew 
chapter 6, and these, these are the last scriptures here. Matthew chapter 6. You know, and, and, and this is, you know, these scriptures you're so familiar with, but many times we lose sight of the fact that they're here. Matthew chapter 6, starting with verse number um, 24. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold up to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. God and mammon, okay? So that's another good thing there in terms of staying focused, you know. And the word of God says that the love of money is the root of evil, all right? And many people misquote that by saying money is the root of evil. Well, it's not that at all. The Bible says the love of money. That is someone that puts money before all things. And it becomes indeed the the root of evil when you start putting money up to be most important. But it says right there that God, you know, no man can serve two masters, okay? So you can't have two visions because either you love one and you you hate the other. Verse 25, Therefore I say unto you, Be not anxious for your life, what you shall eat, what you shall drink, nor for your body, what you shall put on. Is not the life more than food, and the body than raiment or clothing? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much better than they? Underline. Are you not much better than they? Which of you, by being anxious or worried or stressed out, can add one cubit unto his stature? Okay, underline that. Which of you, by simply, you know, by being stressed stressed out, can add one cubit to, to to your stature? You know? I tried that some years ago, and I'm still six one. <laughs> amen, amen, amen. For those of you who can't see me on the internet, not so. That was a joke. <laughs> amen, amen, amen. All right. So, so which of you can add one cubit unto his stature? And why are you anxious for clothing or raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, how they toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith, on the line of you, O little faith, O you of little faith? Therefore... Be not anxious, underline, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or with what shall we be clothed, you know, or any other worry for that matter. How shall I pay the rent? How shall I pay the mortgage? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows, underline, your heavenly Father knows what you have need of all these things, that you have need of all these things. Verse 33, the most important, underline all of it. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Be therefore not anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow shall be anxious for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is its own evil. So in other words, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has its own issues coming up. You know, don't get stressed out about tomorrow. But the biggest thing there is in verse 33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Amen. So if you've got this vision for God and you're staying focused on God, then all you have to remember is that while I'm staying focused, that I'm seeking God's kingdom, I'm seeking his face, I'm looking for God, that God is going to supply Everything that you need. Amen. And so if you can remember that, you know, when you're 
When you're in your mind and you're going through these options, and I know how that can be, you know, because just because I'm up here and I'm preaching doesn't mean that I am, I am um, um, you know, exempt from these things happening. But while these things are going in your mind and you're trying to figure out, geez, which way shall I go? Shall I go to the left? Shall I go to the right? Or shall I do this? Shall I do that? You stop and you think, you back, well, what did God really tell me to do? What is it that I'm supposed to be doing in God here? Okay? And you remember, well, this is my vision. This is where God is telling me I should go. And then... Yes, Lord, you did say to wait because this vision, it may tarry. But when it comes, it's not going to lie. Right? And God is not a man that he should lie. Amen? 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 And his word cannot return to him void. So you're thinking, oh, they would say, well, gee whiz, you know. But gosh, what gee whiz, I mean, how am I going to pay the rent? Or or how am I going to meet this bill or whatever? How am I going to, well, seek me first the kingdom of God. And God shall supply all my needs. Okay? So I sit back and I start... Okay, here I got control again. I got control again. All right, all right. Then all of a sudden, that storm raises up. Okay, and remember, well, Jesus said to come, said to come. So I'm not, I'm not going to look up there. I'm not going to look up there. All right. The phone rings. You know, you know, and there's that voice. You know, blah 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 blah. You know, consider, <laughs> consider just saying sorry, can't talk to you. Click and just hanging up. Amen, amen. And oh, well, I knew that president for 30 years. Well, the devil knows you knew him for 30 years too. You know? Doesn't mean you can't love them. Okay? But don't listen to what they're trying to tell you. Because they may be taking you away from that first and primary important vision. You know? You know we put human relationships, we hold up human relationships so high. You know, and, and I mean, and that's fine. We, we are to love our friends, we're to love our families, okay? But we're to love God first. And to know that none of your friends or family can love you the way God loves you. God loves you in spite of everything that you did, out of all of the thoughts that you may have had, of all of your little um, trips of doubt that runs through your mind. God still loves you, you know? You see? So don't let that phone call or a letter in the mail or something throw you off your game, you know? Because the devil knows that. The devil knows your hot spots, your hot buttons. We all have hot buttons. We all have hot buttons, okay? Certain things I don't like with a passion, you know. Certain things I love with a passion. Strawberry shortcake. Everybody knew what I was going to say, you know. You, you, know, you, you know. So while, while God's vision may have been for me to get down to a trim 165 pounds, that may be God's vision, then what happens? Every dinner I go to, they've got strawberry shortcake there, you know, as the, the house meal and stuff, you know. So then I've got to say, no, I'm not going to eat that strawberry shortcake, you know. Or you've got this loving Aunt Tilly that flies from Kalamazoo and brings a strawberry shortcake. You see, you see what I'm saying? I mean, I'm making this in jest, but when you stop and think about it, these very things have happened to you. There's always someone or something that pops up to you, you know, and then, or then just like Peter in the boat, after you get your eye off of God, then that fear, that worry starts setting in that I might not be doing the right thing. You know, am I really going to start sinking? And in, in modern day lives, lives we can sink in many different ways. That's, that's the failure. That's where you did not accomplish that which you wanted to accomplish. Accomplish and get that sinking feeling. Amen? Amen? So praise God. Remember, do not be distracted. Remember that God is indeed your source for all things. And don't let that secondary vision come into your life. Amen? Praise God. I hope this message has been a blessing to you. And now, before we close, let us prepare to honor God with our tithes and offerings.